Shit happens. So 235 of the Pot. It's me, your host, Stefan Bosco, once again. And I am very happy to welcome Konstantin Eckner from Spielverlagerung in our show. It's been a while, Konstantin. How are you doing? Yeah, it's been a while. I'm doing pretty well. What about you? I'm doing very well myself. I've heard you've been traveling around the world. That's right. That, uh, that's helped you to uh, get a little uh, a healthy distance between you and Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. Otherwise, I would be uh, crawling around and um, depressed, suicidal, the whole nine yards. <laughs> Lars, I hope you're not crawling around depressed or suicidal. But um, yeah, Lars Parman is also with us. How are you doing, Lars? Yes, I'm also with you, Stefan. I am fine, thanks. <laughs> as enthusiastic as always. Um, I'm afraid we don't have any uh, sponsors on Patreon to announce or, uh, yeah, for this episode. But... Um, You know, I, I can feel why no one was really enthusiastic about Borussia Dortmund or anything associated with it, uh, after the uh, 2-1 loss against Mainz. I don't know about you guys, but I was, uh, looking forward to a, I don't know, pretty easy 3-0 win or something like that. I think that's what I at least predicted on uh, the last episode, but it uh, turned out to be a little bit different than I had anticipated. Um, Lars, why were you and I so wrong about this game on last Saturday in the Westfalenstadion? Uh, I don't really know. Maybe we underestimated Mainz or overestimated the effects of a couple of good games on Dortmund's psyche. I mean, uh, I, I'm still pretty sure Mainz aren't all that great, uh, a team especially in the attacking sense but they've thoroughly deserved uh, the three points which they needed to ensure their Bundesliga survival uh, because quite simply they were the the more dangerous and ultimately better team over 90 minutes it wasn't even like Mainz blitzing Dortmund and then holding on for their dear lives I mean they they were better still in the second half even and defended without many problems uh, there weren't any huge scoring chances for Dortmund in the second period where, you know, uh, Mainz's goalkeeper had to do a lot or whatever. So it was a fairly comprehensive performance from Mainz and the exact opposite from Dortmund. Yeah, Müller didn't really have to uh, replicate uh, replicate uh, Pavlenka's performance of uh, the 1-1 uh, draw against Bremen. Um, But at least Dortmund can be happy this time with their scoring efficiency, I would say. They at least overperformed their expected goals according to ESPN's model. That was 0.6. So they had one full goal, which uh, is good for Dortmund. I, I would say there the goal they scored was actually well taken. I was just a little bit surprised that uh, there was literally nothing afterwards. Um, yeah, Lars, <laughs> there are obviously a couple of storylines here. 
for starters, there's the Widenfeller storyline, um, then, uh, yeah, just the, uh, missed chance of wrapping up Champions League qualification and the entire reaction of the fans after the game and so on and so forth. But, uh, before we get to all that, um, do you, do you think that, um, as, as you said before, um, in, in the last show that, uh, Dortmund were just struggling because they didn't have that physical striker in the box? Or do you think um, Dortmund were more so struggling because Mainz really crowded the midfield and Dortmund did not find a way to pass through it as they had done so against more proactive sides in uh, Leverkusen and Bremen? Yeah, I guess these two factors intertwined because there wasn't any kind of interplay between the midfielders or you know the team going forward that would have resulted in the kind of opportunities that a more physical striker like Batshuayi for example would have been able to make more out of than someone like Maximilian Phillips so uh, I, I still maintain that they probably could have used someone like Batshuayi or maybe Alexander Isak if he had even a resemblance of you know, confidence after not being used for basically the entire second half of the season since Botchway has come on. Uh, but I mean, the, the more pressing issue here obviously was, uh, Dortmund's inability to move the ball forward with any kind of purpose and, and quickness too. I mean, it was stale and, uh, basically the entire discussion about Dortmund's build-up situation and their slow and deliberate play in midfield that we've had so many times this season. Um, maybe we and possibly also Stöger and, and the team thought too early that that had been a thing of the past and, and thought that after the two very good performances in that regard against Leverkusen and Bremen that it, those problems had resolved themselves with, uh, you know, the for one for one ish uh, lineup and installing Weigel as the lone holding midfielder, having Royce and Götze close together in the house spaces and all those things that we that we talked about positively in the last two shows. Uh, maybe they thought this was you know how it's going to be from from now on, and and Mainz obviously showed that that was not the case. No, definitely not. Um, Konstantin, I don't know how much you saw of that game since uh, you were traveling, but um, overall, I think it was the sort of game you have seen, we all have seen a million times already this season from Dortmund. Um, in, in general, what do you think Dortmund have to do better going forward in, in their build-up play in the last game and, and also for the next season than uh, they probably did against Mainz and, and uh, yeah, in so many other games where they just uh, lacked the yeah ideas and the solutions to really progress the ball in the final third with any sort of danger. Uh, I mean, I guess first and foremost, they need more variety because uh, right now it's just the same over or the same stuff over and over again. And, um, and it's not even like, you know, innovative in any capacity. Um, actually, uh, it's, I mean, even, even, even if you, you know, uh, play a little bit with Weigel, uh, meaning that, you know, sometimes he's higher, sometimes he's deeper, uh, even that is not something, uh, really surprising. Then, um, also on top, I mean, at least Top Rock is someone who can advance, uh, and, you know, create new situations when he, when he's moving forward with the ball. But, um, yeah, well, now he's out and, uh, he was, yes, Sometimes he does it. Sometimes he uh, he doesn't do any uh, runs, or he doesn't make any runs. 
Uh, it's, so I don't know why. I don't know if it, if it depends what uh, Stöger tells him. Uh, but it's also something that, that really comes to mind. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting to have uh, Götze and Royce uh, in the center of midfield. But, um, in, I remember the, uh, I think the Stuttgart game. Um, you, you can see, clearly see that, that Royce was basically the second striker. Um, and, and, you know, Götze was, was the second center midfield. Also, there wasn't really a double number eight, um, structure. Uh, it was just, you know, Two guys uh, on paper or in the center midfield, but uh, with completely different positions. But why well, I would like to see more interaction between both. Um, and I mean, you can play, you can play some risky passes uh, to Royce and Götze. You can, you know, you could try something which Dortmund uh, don't do that often right now. Uh, which is, you know, that that's just there's a pattern um, to go wide over and over again. Uh, where I think, you know, if you have these two technical wizards uh in the middle then use them uh always i mean i don't i don't you you don't need guts and Royce or especially guts as a like a box-to-box runner you need him as like this pocket player um so so try something uh but since dortmund are um not not really confident in their uh counter pressing abilities and just their defensive abilities in general uh because of the, the many goals the team have conceded uh this season i think they they avoid these these passes often uh while there are openings and um or there would have been openings and yeah they don't really do it um which which is also the the biggest difference i guess between them and bayern for instance uh because it's not like bayern has like this pretty innovative uh build up um you know structure they 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 don't but um they know what uh, Ramos Rodriguez also can do um so they just you know they they play uh the ball to uh, to him and you know even if it's if it's not the best situation because then he maybe can move out of it and uh, create something new and you know create a uh, dynamic um and that's what Dortmund really lacking are right now Yes, you have just described the main issue, I would say, for Dortmund in the Mainz game perfectly, because that, to me at least, was the issue. And I didn't even watch the match, so. No, no, but uh, as, as I said earlier, you, you have seen the, the game in, in the way it played out, just not that particular match. But, um, yeah, to me, Dortmund were just not courageous enough in, in just um, progressing the ball forward. So they would have had a couple more vertical balls, especially to Götze, who, as you said, can facilitate the ball in, in, in tight spaces. And, uh, yeah, you just need to play with a little bit more risk. I would also partly put it on Stöger. Sometimes I feel like he just doesn't, uh, he just isn't aware of the uh, powers of his team in, in, in the sense of that you can play with way more risk when you have better individual players. But um, on the other hand, you also make a very good point in the fact that um, maybe the team plays so risk-averse because, uh, you know, it has backfired so often for them this season also. Um, but in, in general, that really struck me that uh, Dortmund were playing so many lateral balls so many times to the wings and then just did not find a way to, to progress the ball. Um, in, in my notes, I, I have uh, obviously Socrates being added again because Socrates uh, made a couple of uh, crucial mistakes in the way he left his line trying to win a tackle upfield, but uh, then yeah, being too late to that challenge and uh, opening the space entirely for the opponent. I would say Mainz's first goal uh, sort of came f- came from that. And uh, 
I guess we can talk about him a little bit later, but um, also on that note is uh, Pulisic in a yeah, crisis. He did not find a single pass to any attacking players in the, I think, eight completed passes that he had. Uh, they all went to either Weigel or a defender, and that also shows you how yeah a isolated he was, and b how uh, yeah problematic it it was for Dortmund to really link up up front. Um, last is Jaden Sancho right now, more or less the only creative outlet for Dortmund uh, when uh, the team is not really uh, finding Götze and Royce. Yeah, I guess I guess you could say that. Um, maybe uh, Akanji when he was a left back actually he he provided some uh, creative sparks uh, but maybe those also came because he played behind Sancho and uh, defenders are more aware of the, the dribbling capabilities of the young Englishman but certainly I think his uh, courage to seek these one-on-ones many of which don't come off but just to have that as a threat uh, helps the Perhaps keeping the defender honest, if you like. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, the goal Dortmund did score was largely down to him, uh, winning a dribble and, and having the awareness that he's shown so often in the last few games. Uh, and certainly I would say that if something good's happening right now for Dortmund, you can probably guess with a, a good amount of, uh, likelihood, I guess is the right word that, uh, Certainty, yeah, or, certainty, or that, or or as or as Trump would say, surety. <laughs> Whatever, uh, you can presume uh, that Jaden Sancho will be involved in in some way, shape, or form in that particular instance of you know whatever it is Dortmund do attacking wise. So uh, it still boggles my mind anyway uh, that he was out of action. Understöger for a few weeks when he was uh, healthy again after his injury because uh, in that uh, time most of the games uh, it was Andre Schöle starting and I mean there's no comparison between those two players. Yeah, that is very true. Um, also, kudos to Maximilian Philipp for that uh, yeah shot on the turn. I thought it was a pretty well taken goal. Um, Andre Schüller in the second half had a similar chance where he could have turned around the defender and then found a shot, but obviously he had a technical mishap. Um, so yeah, that shows that the goal that Philipp scored wasn't all that easy. Um, Lars, do you have an explanation though why uh, why Pulisic is struggling in the last few games? I, I I'm not sure I would go that far because he was very good against Leverkusen if I'm not mistaken. Uh didn't That's very true. So I mean he's still a very young player and I think we collectively as followers of Dortmund, uh, both media and fan wise, I think the expectations towards Pulisic are a bit out of whack just because he is so young. I mean he's been around for a fairly long time now. I think it was uh, February 2015 or 2016 I don't I don't quite recall uh, but he's been around for quite some time for such a young player so it's understandable perhaps that the uh, level of expectation gets higher and higher with him but we have to remember that he's been playing a lot of minutes this season he's had to carry a larger role than most people would have envisioned for him including the coaching staff uh, and the you know the the directorial level at the club so I think while he hasn't been great in a lot of games in the second half of the season, there's still enough to like with what he did usually. I mean, you still see, maybe not in this game particularly, but 
generally speaking, I think he still shows, you know, these, these spurts, these little dribbles, these small moments where you can see just how talented he is. So I'm, I'm willing to give him a pass and, and certainly because the alternatives coming off the bench in the last few games, uh, aren't instilling any more confidence in me. I mean, I'd rather have Christian Pulisic, who's not in the greatest run of form, but has that innate ability to make things happen out there than Andrea Molenko, who basically looks cooked when he's coming on uh, and, and certainly doesn't add anything after, you know, 20 minutes or so as a substitute. Yeah, I certainly don't remember much that Yamolenko did, to be honest, and the same I, I think can be said about Schuller. Um Konstantin Pulisic has been linked with a yet another move to Liverpool. Uh, um, I think we will hear millions of these rumors uh, going through the summer and whatnot, but uh, would you actually advise him right now to seek a change to the Premier League? Because I would absolutely not. Uh, no. Um, I, I don't think that would be wise, uh, but I can see the appeal, uh, you know, uh, uh, of a uh, move to Liverpool or to some other club uh, in the Premier League because uh, money-wise, I mean, he will, um, of course, uh, earn a lot more um, than he does at Dortmund and he will never, um, you know, get so much money uh, at Dortmund even if they extend his contract and really upgrade everything um, in there. So, yeah, but I think he's not... I mean, of course, there are other players who move to the Premier League who aren't ready and then maybe they, they get ready, but Pulisic is a kind of a special player, you know, someone who could have a tremendous career, And uh, but he is also a bit of a tricky situation because there are so many uh, wingers and attacking midfielders out there. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy these days to, you know, be as talented as Pulisic and then throw your career away because you make a few uh, wrong moves and you know, and then you are basically out. So, uh, Greetings to Usman Dembele at this point, <laughs> although he hasn't technically thrown his career away, but it's... Uh, I mean, he, yeah. he, he just uh, assisted a great Coutinho goal against Villarreal as we speak, so let's let's pump the brakes on that one a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Fair guess. enough. And, and, I, and I also think, I mean, I've, yeah, Pulisic is uh, tremendously talented. I think Usman Dembele is, is a kind of a, or is a different player. And um, I don't want to, you know, compare the two, but I think in Pulisic's case, um, it's, it could be easier for him to throw his career away, I guess. Um uh, I think I think uh, a lot of coaches see Pulisic as uh, more replaceable than maybe Osman Dembele. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess one more year at Dortmund uh, or two more years, uh, depending on how you know his personal situation is uh, in, in terms of injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, um, I guess it would be helpful. Um, and then yeah, you can you can go from there. Um, of course, I mean, he could also just move to Liverpool and turn out to be the next or the, you know, the second coming of uh, Mohamed Salah, but I don't think so right now. Well, the thing is, when he makes a move to, to the Premier League, he would be under an even bigger microscope than he is now. And I don't think that's really helpful because uh, the fact is right now he can be really, really good, but he is a streaky player just because of his young age. And, um, yeah, I would say in Dortmund, he's at least a little bit protected of uh, those uh, big headlines in the, I don't know, Daily Mail and Mirror and whatnot. You know, it's, it's, it's just a little bit different. Sure. Um, there's this, uh, 
one guy for ESPN that rates him a three out of ten after a game like that, and that obviously makes them the headline. <laughs> That's uh, how how the uh, editors work at ESPN. <laughs> That's obviously go always going to be the headline, but uh, it's it's still not as as uh, gruesome as it can be elsewhere. And um, so yeah, I I still think. Uh, that there's not going to be a move this summer. So um, there is that. And uh, last year, already talked about the substitutions that Peter Stöger made. I uh, think we uh, mentioned the Dortmunder U in the uh, pre-talk to the podcast because that's what the passing matrix looked like. Uh, Horseshoe basically flipped as Dortmund were just passing around uh, the mines box but had no penetration and... Uh, yeah, Weigel, Götze and Philipp, and I think even Royce, they all sort of looked very disconnected uh, from, you know, the players around. So um, I was really irked by those two substitutions. Um, obviously, Schmelzer had to come on due to injury, but uh, Jamolenko and Schöler, why would you bring two wingers when you have zero connections in, in midfield? Can you explain that to me? Because I, I certainly cannot. Uh, quickly on Pulisic, I will make the prediction that at the latest he's going to leave Dortmund next season. I would not at all be surprised if he were to leave uh, in this transfer window coming up. Uh, but as for the substitutions, I don't really know what Stöger was thinking. I guess you can take off Pulisic just because he he had an off day. Uh, it was uh, Schürrle coming on for him. It's not necessarily a substitution I'm overly happy with, but Schürrle has given especially Stöger this season, a modicum of consistency. Uh, and we, he was not half bad in Bremen. Yeah, I mean, he, he he doesn't have, you know, gaudy numbers or anything, but he's been somewhat dangerous in the opposing uh, opponent's box and, and these things, so I can understand that one. But then uh, taking off Mario Götze, who I personally thought had a very good game, I know that many, many people have a different opinion, and I don't... I don't want to understand them basically because what I saw is what I saw. Uh, and, and taking him off uh, for Yamulenko doesn't make any sense because you you already struggled with uh, perhaps your best midfield player uh, to, to advance the ball into the final third with any purpose and regularity. And then taking him off to stick uh, a winger on there who's main contributions in the last few weeks when he's come off the bench is a couple of step overs and, and carrying the ball out of bounds for the uh, for the opponent's uh, opposing team. Uh, I don't really see how that makes uh, a great deal of sense. Uh, it seems to me like Stöger kind of doesn't really know what to do uh, in, during these games. When, when, when plan A doesn't work, I think plan B is to just stick as many men up front and hope for the best, which is, you know... A, a telltale sign of possibly uh, a head coach being a little out of his depth at you know the the level of club he's at and the level of individual quality he has. So uh, it, what I don't understand in all this basically is if if Stöger is that kind of manager, then why isn't Alexander Isak at least on the bench because he's a learned striker. Uh, he has better technical capabilities up front than uh, Andre Schöle, for example. So. What? Why is Alexander Isak in this club if not to at least make the bench when all the other strikers are either sold to Arsenal or injured right now? So that yeah. Well, I will actually ask Peter Sugar tomorrow whether he thinks that uh, Isak had a wasted year. I really wonder what the response will be, but I think it's a very fair question at this point. Yeah, I mean, 
from what I can tell of Peter Stöger's press conferences, the the answer will not be particularly telling. But I mean, I think it's a it's a valid argument to make that there's no point in having a, a striker in in your squad when you don't even put him on the bench, and then when when you're chasing a goal, you stick on all these wingers and basically call uh, Socrates up front for him to uh, foul players, basically. So uh, it it seems to me that like there's no sense of direction what this team wants to do outside of the one thing that did work for two games now. Yeah, you, you see, it, it was even more baffling to me, um, you know, seeing that Dortmund had their best, you know, sort of plays when there was a vertical ball played into the half space to mostly Götze, uh, which is why I thought he was uh, one of the best players. And as uh, Konstantin already described, this is what Dortmund should do way more often. And if Weigel doesn't really feel like it, then I would actually uh, think that maybe, yeah, for for the sake of my argument, maybe even Gonzalo Castro is a better substitution at this point. But uh, that's obviously not the first choice I would have named. But uh, maybe if Pulisic isn't really doing his thing, maybe take him off and bring Dahoud. And uh, then you still have uh, yeah enough players to, to fill the wing and uh, sort of play a 4-2-3-1 with Dahoud. In a, in a yeah sort of six or eightish uh, position more centrally, so you have uh, have yeah just also more numbers against Mainz's uh, what was it like a four five one shape I guess so you're not outnumbered in midfield and so maybe that helps to to yeah bridge the gaps which were also pretty big you know the the yeah line of attack versus the line of defense there was a huge chunk of of uh yeah land in between and that's never really helpful to yeah play precision football when uh yeah the opponent more or less just wants to defend and hence it wasn't surprising that Dortmund's best chance and only chance after um yeah pulling one back was Marcel Schmelzer with a header in the 90th minute so that all in all, was very uninspiring, and uh, I gotta say, um, it was also kind of weird that there was not really ever a spark in the last ten minutes or fifteen minutes where Dortmund could just, you know, sometimes even if you if you don't have any any ideas, sometimes the the sh- the sheer will, sometimes you just manage to force a goal some somehow, but there also wasn't really that sort of uh, yeah onslaught, what we call in German the Brechstange auspacken, where you just pumped the the box with with balls and hope for the best that also never really happened there was not this raw from the stands you know that really we want to get into the champions league now i mean a point would have been enough again Dortmund were one goal away from having a really you know relaxed afternoon in hoffenheim which obviously now isn't the case um so as i already mentioned we have to talk about socrates um he picked up his fifth yellow and now will be out against Hoffenheim. Um, yeah, I don't know if Zagadou is actually fit to play. Um, so Konstantin next to Manuel Akanji, who should be the uh, other center back in that game. Should it be Pischek and then put, I don't know, Tolyan in? What's the idea here? Um, yeah, I guess it's the idea to um, put Pischek in there because he has some experience as a center back. Um, and that's about it because... Um, who else is there? There's, there's no one left. Um, yeah, having Piszczek and Akanji as your center pack pairing, uh, in, in the last match of the season against, you know, contender for, uh, the fourth place, um, it sounds something you shouldn't do. 
but I guess they are forced, and so they have to. Um, because I, I would uh, totally prefer uh, Piszczek over Weigel uh, in central defense. <laughs> oh, you think? Why is that? Uh, j- just, just a guess. Uh, <laughs> a wild guess. I know, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's just, it's just Piszczek, and then you have Tolian as your right back. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, that sounds uh, lovely um, to have. I mean, uh, you you could of course top that um, by just you know putting Piszczek in there as the right side at center back, and then having um, Castro as your right back. Yeah, perfect. That's uh, the uh, lineup I will write down and uh, submit to Stöger. Piece of yeah, and submit it to Stöger. I'm sure that's uh, what we'll see then. Um, last, do you think uh, uh, Socrates should have? Uh, yeah, committed that rather blatant foul that, that awarded him the fifth booking, seeing that Toprak was already limping off. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't think I can ask a center back to have in mind at that situation when he's not making the foul, uh, the, the strikers throw on goal and the game is over. I don't know if, if I would ask any center back and then especially Socrates, uh, to, you know, just let him, let him run. So. I don't, I don't think it's realistic to expect, uh, him to have in mind that his center back partner is not going to be available next week, which he couldn't even know. It might, might have been, you know, a slight knock on Topak and he would have been back in action. So the, the question, uh, should, in my opinion, rather be how on earth can Zokatis' first touch be so bad that he has to make that foul? Like that, that's not Bundesliga starter quality and, We've seen too many of those instances. So if, if this is the end of Socrates' Dortmund career, I know a lot of people will be sad to see him go, but I'm kind of, I would be okay with that. Let's put it that way. Yes, and as I already mo- announced uh, pre-pod, I can exclusively <laughs> report that uh, I've seen something that might hint at Socrates' exit because when he was uh, leaving the stadium, he was... Uh, walking through the player's tunnel and when you go down the stairs there's a big banner of the yellow wall and he was going down with his kit and he was like sort of uh yeah wistfully streaking the banner and it it looked like he would miss the game and his whole body language looked rather be down and uh yeah maybe if you want to read anything into that you can that this might have been his last home game for the club but what the hell do i know but uh, obviously um yeah my observation was that he definitely is leaving because of that little thing that i saw anyway <laughs> um <laughs> right uh that's that's how serious we are here on the yellow warpod um so i guess before we move on to hoffenheim um there was the uh, storyline of one roman weinfeller being uh yeah in the stands after the game and having a big uh farewell even though he, of course, still has his farewell match. But I thought, um, you know, if the game was really sparse on highlights, I thought that was uh, quite nice to see uh, the fans celebrate him. Um, however, Lars, uh, it was kind of weird that the fans or parts of the fans then sort of uh, wanted to celebrate Weidenfeller, but at the same time boo the team away. Um, my wife, who was in the stadium, was uh, rather annoyed by that because she said she wanted to... Uh, celebrate the team as well after the season uh, even though it wasn't maybe the best season but they're still in third and whatnot um how did you see the entire aftermath let's put it after the game in in your view if if that was televised 
partly, but to be honest, I don't, I don't care about these things anymore. I don't understand the dynamics of, you know, Dortmund's South Stand and, and why 25,000 people listen to, I don't know, 50 or so who seem to make the rules for everybody. And if you don't comply with them, you are not a real fan or whatever. So I'm not going to get into all that. I think Weidenfelder deserved the best sending off that he could have gotten. I don't know if he got that uh, big whoop. So, you know, it is what it is. He didn't play. That was the, the right decision, in my opinion. And the, the game certainly did not lend itself to switching goalkeepers for the final 20 minutes or so. So uh, I, I think Roman Weidenfeller is a big boy and he can live with this kind of final home game. Yeah, that's exactly what he said in the, in the mix on after the game, that he said that, you know, the the farewell and his uh yeah dive into the stands after the game was uh more than enough emotions for him and something he will uh forever remember and it was definitely sort of a nice farewell but also really awkward because uh you know in, in the end the team wasn't really sure should we approach the fans should we not and then Weinfeller obviously sort of uh yeah got the team closer to the yellow wall and then they did this this wave but it you know it was all really really awkward and uh yeah it's it's just so weird to see how a relationship between a team and the fans can turn sour over the years because um i think we all know how uh yeah much better it was in in years before obviously sporting results were a little bit better but uh, not uh, exceptionally so um yeah there are a lot of things to be contemplated and i i think the fans sometimes need to check their behavior too sometimes at least from my view it's all a little bit too self-important and um the entire notion that the team doesn't want to play enough or doesn't you know doesn't identify enough with the club um while they're Well, while it might be right in, in, in some part, I just don't, don't think that's, that's an overbearing argument. I just think that so most problems that maybe make the team look uninspired or like they just don't want to play football have, that's, that's more, to, has more to do with, uh, them not really finding this footballing solutions that they ought to find, but just don't because they, yeah, had three coaches in like one year and, uh, Peter Sugar, also not the sort of tactical mastermind that, uh, yeah, hence the team, the sort of plan that they have several solutions for, for every situation and in every game. So there's that. I think the Riviera Derby is a perfect example. I don't really think that uh, the team didn't have the, the fight or the spirit. I just thought that, uh, Schalke had a really good plan to stifle them. Dortmund were stifled and made a mistake and got punished for that end of story. So. Yeah, I guess with that, we can move over to Hoffenheim, unless you, Konstantin, have anything to say on the Mainz game or Weidenfeller. Uh, no. All right, then I guess um, we can turn our attention to the last match day. Um, Lars, I nominate you to um, tell everyone what needs to happen for Dortmund to still finish fifth, because I know you are the best at explaining those math things. <laughs> uh, well, basically... What fifth you you said? Uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Yes. I mean, Hoffenheim needs to overcome. I think a three-goal deficit and Leverkusen. On I think it's two goals for Hoffenheim because they play each other, so uh, that's a bit different. And it's six goals for Leverkusen. So, for example, 
Uh, Dortmund lose 3-0 to Hoffenheim and Leverkusen win 4-0 at home against uh, Hanover, who have nothing to play for. Uh, Dortmund would be in the Europa League next season. But uh, for for starters, Leverkusen aren't in the greatest run of form and they are also without their best goal scorer and Kevin Folland, who's suspended for the final game. So, I mean, I, I could see Hoffenheim put, you know, four against Dortmund Uh, or past Dortmund rather, but I, for one, I couldn't see that being a 4-0, so Dortmund would likely score one, and I also don't really think that Leverkusen are going to just uh, pummel Hannover like that, so it, it might not still be quite above 80%, like I said last week, my personal uh, prediction for Dortmund's Champions League chances, but they are still well above 50%. I think a lot of things would have to happen And, and basically be a perfect storm for Leverkusen. And, you know, Leverkusen aren't the kind of club that have experienced a lot of perfect storms in their day. So, uh, I they're called Leverkusen for a reason. They haven't scored a single goal in the last three Bundesliga games. One of which came against Dortmund, uh, and they were absolutely terrible. So, uh, I think resting easy would, would be saying a bit too much just because a lot, a lot of things can happen. And obviously playing against Hoffenheim is kind of a, different situation and I, I think Hoffenheim is the second best team in the Bundesliga uh, over the last few months so uh, it's it's there is a, a chance but I don't think it's too likely that Dortmund miss out on Champions League football yeah definitely uh, Dortmund can afford a 1-0 loss away to Hoffenheim and are still 100% definitely in because uh, that way they still stay in third place because Hoffenheim obviously would then not make up the goal difference um, so it would be a little bit different if Dortmund lose by two goals, but if they lose just by one goal, Dortmund are already safe. So a narrow loss is enough. Um, nothing I would rest on. And uh, if I were Dortmund, I would definitely hope for a draw or a win even. But, um, yeah, there, there needs a lot of things to be happening. And, um, if we, um, look at Hoffenheim, you just mentioned it, they have uh, really, uh, yeah, come back. In, in the last 10 games since uh, match day 24, they uh, climbed from ninth place to fourth place and they uh, scored uh, with, the, I think, I think they had like six wins, three draws and one loss in that time space and they scored 26 goals and uh, conceded 10. So, um, yeah, that really shows you what kind of great numbers they, they put out there. Um, but Serge Gnabry is uh, out injured, who was their, their best goal scorer. And in, in the last nine games, he scored seven goals and had three assists. And, um, yeah, other, otherwise, um, Hoffenheim have scored the same amount of goals as Dortmund in this season so far with 63 goals, conceded 47, so three goals more than Dortmund. Um, a lot of people say that Hoffenheim are a possession based side, but they only have the sixth most possession. But, uh, I guess, uh, that, uh, yeah, still doesn't mean they don't find, uh, proactive solutions when they have the ball. Um, but I also, found very interesting that they have the third lowest take on success in the Bundesliga. Only Hamburg and uh, Augsburg are worse in, in that category and uh, also the third lowest amount of clearances behind Leverkusen and Bayern. So uh, they at least want to play football, I guess. And uh, they are leading in yellow cards uh, with 71. They've picked up the most in the Bundesliga, but obviously they haven't picked up the most fouls in the Bundesliga, but because that is obviously Schalke. So um, yeah, Hoffenheim sort of have uh, come back from from the dead under Julian Nagelsmann and here to explain why is now Konstantin Eckner, the stage is yours. 
Well, because Nagelsmann is uh, one of the best coaches in Bundesliga, in, in Europe, in the world. Thank you. In the universe. Um, well, I, I, it's 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 not easy to uh, really find like or like point uh, towards one or two reasons uh, for you know Hoffenheim coming back or like uh, or you know initially dropping a bit, uh, sliding and then uh, now coming back. Um, what, what Nagelsmann did this season um, quite a lot is that he uh, changed f uh, the lineup. Um, not so much the formation, but the lineup. And, and, I mean, ju just look at the last match. I mean, Suber is, is, uh, now, uh, one of the center midfielders. Um, Hrup is now one of the, uh, wingbacks. Um, Paslak is still on the bench, of course. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, it comes more down to what, what he, what he finds, uh, as, as a solution as far as personnel and, and uh, tactics go. Uh, you know, when facing, uh, opponents that are, let's say, predictable. Um, so that's what, when he shines, he is Nagelsmann. Um, he shines when, when uh, opponents are predictable. Um, and then he can. Uh, he can quick, quick side question. Is, uh, Dortmund a predictable opponent? Oh, yeah, of course. All right. Carry on. Well, <laughs> that's what, that's actually what, what I want to get into. Uh, it's, it's that like, yeah, um, he shines, uh, he finds solutions. Uh, when, when opponents are predictable, so, of course, not always it works out. I mean, just, you know, Stuttgart, for instance, uh, it didn't work out. Although Stuttgart, uh, quite frankly, they are very predictable under Korkut. Um, but often enough, it does, uh, for Nagelsmann, um, because he has a very balanced squad, uh, meaning that, um, he has only a few key players who he can't leave out, uh, like Vogt. Uh, maybe, or, or even Oud, uh, but that's about it. Um, I mean, he, or, or maybe Amiri. Um, but that's about it. Uh, so he can, he can switch, you know, sometimes Krillich, sometimes, uh, um, uh, sorry, Geiger. Um, you know, sometimes Geiger in a center midfielder, sometimes Krillich, sometimes it's Amiri and it was Subo, or maybe it's, you know, it's, it's maybe, uh, Napri deeper or maybe Napri higher. So, you know, it's, it's not like there's that one typical, atypical, uh, formation and one atypical lineup. That's not what Nagelsmann does. He does quite the opposite. Um, and yeah, sometimes it does work out. Sometimes he, he overthinks things or he m maybe, you know, he just, you know, that the opponent changes something and then he's, he's, uh, he doesn't get the answer or he doesn't get the question he has an answer prepared for. Um, but, um, yeah, overall, I, I think, I think Nagelsmann is the main reason for Hoffenheim. Uh, being where they are right now. Um, and, you know, when you look at what, what, uh, Nagelsmann does with, um, the set, the, the back free, uh, and build up, you know, playing really wide, uh, pushing both wing backs high up the pitch immediately. Um, and also, uh, having Krillich as, as the number six, as like the protector, you know, is really deep. Um, but, but the, the, the two uh, advanced midfielders as, as your counter pressing unit. Um, I can clearly see, uh, Hoffenheim playing, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, a lot of, a lot of long balls, actually. Um, but, but then winning the, the midfield, um, with, with Amiri and, and maybe Schultz, um, because Stockman is not, doesn't look that comfortable and like, lacks a bit of compactness sometimes. Um, and then that's where, where Hoffenheim can, um, exploit, 
uh, rooms and uh, spaces and you know to do something after long balls because often enough the uh, the Hoffenheim team is a bit divided into the two parts uh, because you know Krilich is, is so deep and the two uh, the three center backs are deep they they you know they play they play long distance passes or medium distance passes at least um, and and uh, all the other players are up front or very high um, so yeah they that sometimes leads to a lot of long balls. But what you really figured out is how to uh, play these long balls very precise um, and how to play the, into the, into special areas or zones where they have three or four players ready to go. Um, and I don't know how uh, we'll cope with that because um, right now, I mean, they, as I mentioned, lack compactness and they are really patterned, um, meaning that like this free, four, three, three, that there aren't many uh, transitions and transformations um, in the four, three, three of Dortmund. So um, I, I can see Do- uh, Hoffenheim, you know, doing some damage. Um, if it if it will work out for Hoffenheim, I don't know. Um, Dortmund still has the better team, you know, if you if you compare out a player by player. Yeah, that is certainly the case. Um, though, um, to to back up your point, Andre Schöler basically maligned after the game against Mainz that Dortmund's uh, fight for the second balls has been an issue all season. He said that uh, for that you need the freshness of mind because it's all about anticipation. Dortmund just haven't been good in that, and uh, I I think the lack of compactness, as you put it, uh, has also problems. So um, yeah, Dortmund, um, yeah. Wrestling for second balls is, is nothing I would be comfortable with. And maybe that's actually a quite clever strategy. Um, you've mentioned Mark Uth. Um, he has scored 17 goals and nine assists in 37 games and is Schalke bound. Uh, Lars, is that a striker Dortmund should have, yeah, tried to sign? Uh, not necessarily. I think, uh, he ran very hot in terms of his finishing, especially in the first half of the season. Uh, scored at an, unreasonable rate for the kind of player he has shown himself to be over his time at Hoffenheim but then again he's uh, moving to Schalke on a free so basically every player if he's on a free transfer you need to at least think about him just because it's it gives you so many uh, financial options to strengthen your team in other other spots which is why I guess Dortmund are after a a goalkeeper on a free transfer and possibly a veteran right back on a free transfer as well. So in that regard, it may, would have made sense to get him perhaps, but I don't think he's necessarily, you know, top level Champions League kind of striker. So I, I'm okay with him going to Schalke. Yeah, but I, I think he would have been a good backup striker. If if you are not really planning with Alexander Isak, I think uh, having Ud as a utility striker, if you will, in your lineup is is at least a good start, especially if, um, yeah, the search for your main number nine striker is ongoing and you don't really have any certainty, uh, certainty nor any guarantees that you actually will find someone who, uh, yeah, carries you through into, into the next season, basically. Well, so, um, uh, it, it, it is rumored that Hoffenheim are going for Alfred Finn of, uh, Augsburg as Uth's replacement and I would say that Van Bogason is in my opinion a better player than Uth so obviously now uh, there you need to pay a, a transfer fee for him uh, whereas Uth would have been uh, available on a free but I think he's not that singularly talented that you know you need to worry about not getting him or anything yeah I I don't know I just wanted to throw it out there so um 
Konstantin, do you think um, Maximilian Philipp should um, man-mark uh, Vogt? Because I, to, to me, at least every time I watch Hoffenheim, he seems to me to be like the quarterback as a in, in like a centre-back slash libero form where he uh, yeah just uh, instigates the place. And maybe if you take him out of the game, Hoffenheim struggle a little bit more. Or do you think that would be foolish? Or is it even possible? I, I guess... Uh, men marking might be the wrong word because uh, because what what you should do is uh, give um, folks some space so you can get the ball and then pressure him uh, because his weak spot is um, that that he's not that comfortable uh, under pressure when once he has the ball you know if you just take him out by men marking then then Bauman or Akbuguma or whoever uh will just play um you know or will bypass folk or will just play the long ball from there but uh what you could do what you could try at least is to pressure folk after his reception so um if, if i mean i guess you could do that but problem is as i mentioned like because this is uh back free hoffenheim's back free and Krillich, because they are so deep they often enough like they are build up plays where they are just you know a few few yards ahead of the um, um, I have the penalty box. Uh, while the the rest of the team is high up the pitch, so if you uh, tell Philip and uh and Pulisic and you know I don't know who else um that that they have to, they should pressure them. You 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 know you play Hoffenheim's game, meaning that you yourself tear uh, your team apart. And then we come back to the to the problem with uh, compactness and um, basically that that you know you might lose the counter pressing or sec uh, winning the sec ball game against uh, Hoffenheim and so yeah I'm not sure uh, if that's clever but that's probably what Nagelsmann wants you to do so maybe this is why I asked whether it's even possible so um last my pitch. Well, my prediction for this game is that uh, Mario Götze will have a really good game, uh, at least going by how he played in the last three games, because A, I thought he was really great in the ball-winning department, and um, when Konstantin says that Hoffenheim are stretched in their build-up, and if you win the ball, then you have spaces to roam in, and I think that in the transition place, especially when Götze has a little bit of space um, together with Royce, he really can... Yeah, instigate a lot of plays and make things happen. I, I think he will look even more comfortable against Hoffenheim <laughs> in brackets or in parentheses if he plays. <laughs> so um, there's obviously that. But uh, I, I think he will have a really good game just thinking it through and playing it out in my mind because uh, Hoffenheim will obviously offer spaces when you win the ball. And I just don't think that uh, Dortmund will not win a single ball. So, um, yeah. Do you do you second that prediction or uh, do you warn me that I may be horribly horribly wrong yet again? Uh, I think it's never a bad prediction to predict a good player having a good performance. Um, as I said before, I think I like Götz's performance against Mainz much better than I guess most people who watch the game. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm not sure about. Dortmund as a whole uh, against Hoffenheim because to me this team doesn't look like a team that does very well when they have something to lose. Uh, we've talked about them not being able to handle adversity very well this season whether it be you know the, the bad run of form under Peter Bosch for example or 
bad performances under Stöger when the results were still good or whatever and also during games just feels to me like there's something missing from this group of players uh, they certainly don't get too much of a spark from uh, the the manager on the sideline so individually I, I could see a lot of players having good performances but on the whole I don't have you know a lot of confidence in in Dortmund playing you know like a team that that really wants to show that they are better than Hoffenheim I don't I don't see that happening I think what is more likely to happen in my opinion is Dortmund will try to be solid defensively without two of their starting center backs which will prove difficult and you know kind of have one ear to uh, the Leverkusen game and and maybe hope that you know it doesn't get too close in terms of you know both results going against Dortmund Yeah, Konstantin, should Dortmund have like tiny pocket radius um, with one plug in, in one ear so they can listen to what is happening in Leverkusen? Do you think that would be wise <laughs> or do you think they should play their own game? And do you, in more seriousness, second Lars's prediction, which I also think is very likely that uh, Dortmund will take the conservative approach and uh, it's maybe not the best idea? Um, just just don't lose the Hoffenheim match is my advice uh i i think going into into the Hoffenheim match like with the mindset of yeah maybe we will lose or maybe we have to you know look what what uh leverkusen does well i don't think i don't think it's wise especially right now because like dortmund is not that there's no stability there's nothing right now so you have to just basically create something close to stability uh and and i don't think it it Uh, the right move is to just, you know, may, hopefully we only lose by one goal or something like that. Um, b better, better option, better approach is to go into the match and at least, you know, get with the mindset that we don't lose here. We don't lose against Hoffenheim. We don't lose our last match of the season and, you know, go with an even, uh, worse feeling into the summer. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, um, I don't, I don't think like tactically, strategically, uh, Dortmund will change much. Uh, it comes more down to mindset and mentality. Um, I don't know how much Stöger can influence that, but uh, I hope he at least tries to you know, do some some mental work here, uh, because um, otherwise, right now, I think a few players are basically starting or going into the match already with their pants full. Well, maybe maybe our listeners can tell us on. Uh on Twitter or Facebook whether Peter Stöger should play the Champions League anthem in the locker room to motivate the players <laughs> in a positive way or play the Europa League anthem to scare them what uh, should be the better approach. But um, yeah, you, you, Konstantin, are actually on the same page as André Schüttel because he uh, said literally um, in the mixed zone after the Mainz game that, uh, you know, there is uh, no need to concern yourself with tactics. It's all about playing your heart out in Hoffenheim that's more or less what he said so um yeah congrats on that Konstantin uh, you have the same approach as Schürrle so cool <laughs> yeah I, I I was really struck by that uh actually that Schürrle said that I was like okay maybe you still should use tactics in some sort of way but all right maybe maybe that's uh maybe maybe I'm wrong there um I don't know maybe uh yeah I mean it in, in the end, it doesn't really matter what kind of system you play. If you don't really want want to win, then uh, that's that's the downfall. It's all about the Grundtugen, isn't it, Lars? I wasn't even listening because when you said that Konstantin and Andre Schöle were basically best bros, I kind of zoned out. Me, yeah. too, me too, actually. 
Yeah, that's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, so, um, is there anything you guys still want to address ahead of the uh, Hoffenheim game, um, p specifically on that game, or should we uh, move over to just a little bit of transfer talk? Predictions, then transfer talk. All right, Lars, then you go first. Yeah, and I think we should also predict the Leverkusen game for the heck of it. So I'm going with a 3-1 Hoffenheim win and a 2-1 Leverkusen win. So Dortmund would still be fine by like three goals. So not too bad. All right. I am saying that Dortmund will lose 4-2 in Hoffenheim. I think it's going to be a goal fest. But I think Leverkusen will not be better than the 3-2 win. So Dortmund should be fine in that regard. But Dortmund will also lose the third spot to Hoffenheim. Konstantin? Um, I think uh, Dortmund and Hoffenheim will play to a draw 1-1. Okay. And the Leverkusen game doesn't matter. <laughs> well, no. You can you can still predict it, though, if you want. Uh, Leverkusen, Hoffenheim, uh, Hannover. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously. No, not obviously. But it's very likely that uh, Leverkusen will win. So if if Hoffenheim only gets one point and Leverkusen wins, yeah, that that means that Leverkusen goes into the Champions League and Hoffenheim only in the Europa League. Ah, <sighs> well, yeah, I guess that's it. I guess. Uh, all we can so do all, is all, wait also, and see. Should I also talk about the Leipzig match in Berlin or something else? Or? Uh, no. Okay. Spare us. <laughs> Although Leipzig, they still have chances to get into the Champions League, don't they? They need both Hoffenheim and Leverkusen to lose and then win themselves against Berlin, which, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see it. I mean, do they have a much better goal difference than Leverkusen? No, they don't. So so basically, that's exactly what needs to happen, what I just said. So, um, yeah, I just don't see Leipzig finishing fourth at all, to be honest. So there's that. Anyway, um, Lichtsteiner, yet another rumor with a Swiss player. Um, Konstantin, he is 34 years old, right? And playing at Juventus, and he would join Dortmund on a free if he joins. He has been linked by several papers. Um, what do you make of that potential move? Uh, weird, weird, very weird. Um, did I mention that it's weird? Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I remember a few years ago that uh, I don't know with I, with some colleagues uh, from Spielverlag, I think we joked about that. Basically, Piszczek is like like Piszczek and Lichtsteiner, like yeah. yeah. Like the same person, basically. <laughs> no, not the person, but the same player. Um, so, and, and, you know, kind of the same age, uh, Pistic a bit younger, but, you know, uh, not much. Uh, so when I heard that, uh, Liechtensteiner would come to Dortmund, I thought, like, there's some kind of weird thing going on, like, like, uh, you know, conf confused or something. Um, although I have to say, uh, when you know more about the family Liechtensteiner, and a Borussia Dortmund uh, maybe even makes more sense uh, without going into the deep ends of of uh, that story, but um, maybe some people know. Uh, so I guess yeah, I don't really know what what to make of it because I mean you 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 don't it's 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 an old player you maybe play two more years at a reasonable level. Um, he's not better than Piszczek. He's the same type of player. Um, and you don't really build someone up for the future. So whatever that, I, I mean, it's just weird. Like, like if, if you have, if you had asked me, I don't know, five years ago, of course, I would have spoke completely differently. 
Well, but I'm asking you now, and uh, I, I just uh, I just mean you know a 29 year old Lichtsteiner is a completely different story than. Uh, but we are talking about like the, the Lichtsteiner at the tail end of his career. Lastly, you have a different opinion. Not really. I mean, uh, Lichtsteiner turned 34 in January, I believe, so he's going to be 35 halfway through his uh, presumably uh, first year at Dortmund uh, if he does in fact come. Uh, and you know, it's it's not really Dortmund's uh, MO to sign someone of that age. I mean, I looked it up uh, the, the last time they signed someone who was over 30 at the time of the signing was Antonio da Silva in 2010. And that was kind of a special case where he uh, participated in training for a few weeks, I think, and they kind of just saw someone who fit the group very well and he filled a specific role off the bench, scored a great free kick uh, against Hoffenheim, incidentally, uh, to, I think, level up a game Hoffenheim had led until the 93rd minute or so, which was a very important moment in that championship season. So, I mean, uh, Lichtsteiner is not a bad player per se. Uh, I, I think, as Konstantin said, he's probably comparable to uh, Piszczek from his profile. Like, they are both fairly athletic still for their age, but, you know, the legs are going uh, and going. So... Uh, I, I mean, they, they will have to split up the games between them. I guess they just don't trust Jeremy Tolian at all. So I, I would presume he's going to leave possibly on a, a loan deal. I think Stuttgart have been mentioned with him. That would make some sense. I think he was born there, played for Stuttgart in the, at the youth level. Um, but what I don't really like about, uh, Lichtstein is that he strikes me and maybe that's my uh, Inter Milan bias because he's been a mainstay for Juventus for years and that, that's kind of a rivalry. But he just kind of strikes me as an unfair player and sometimes even an annoying player because he's after basically every refereeing decision, he's the first guy standing in front of the referee arguing why it was the worst decision in the history of bad decisions, which... A, a very Thomas Müller yeah, I mean, thing to do. Yeah, I mean, that's just not something I appreciate in players playing for the club that I'm following most closely. I, obviously, there are people who don't like it when they do it for other clubs and suddenly when they wear the right colored shirt, it's all fair and, you know, a sign of strong mentality and whatever. And that's probably what the, the club officials are thinking about. They are adding someone who is a leader in some ways. I mean, he's the, the Switzerland captain. I think he's going to go over 100 caps for Switzerland at the World Cup or maybe even during, you know, friendlies before then. Uh, he's been around very successful teams at Juventus. He's been to the Champions League finals, but you know, for whatever experience he has, there's also, again, the fact that he's going to be 35 in January and he wasn't even called up for the group stages in the Champions League for two years running, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, Juventus knew what they had in him and still they, they said, you know, you, you better sit out the Champions League. You're going to play too many minutes. You, you shouldn't have that mileage on your legs. So. If Juventus do that to a then 33-year-old, uh, or 32 even, if it was indeed two years in a row, uh, I mean, that doesn't bode too well for, you know, his availability in a lot of games for Dortmund. But ultimately, as I said before, it's a, it's a free transfer. He's not going to earn too much because actually the, the wages at Juventus aren't otherworldly, especially for these kind of role players. So. It's not necessarily a bad deal. It's just one that I would 
assume is kind of unnecessary in some ways. But then again, if 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 adding a leader at right back and someone with you know that mentality and all that stuff that Hans Joachim Watzke likes to talk about so much, if if adding Lichtsteiner means uh, Julian Weigel is safe as the holding midfielder and they're not going to sign someone who's basically a destroyer and can't play football in that position, then that's uh, something that I'm I'm okay with basically. All right, I guess that's a positive note to end on the show. Um, so with that in mind, um, yeah, I I'm I'm curious to see what will happen if it's actually going to happen. I I'm still not hundred percent sure it will. I'm I'm more sure on uh, Marvin Hitz, for example, making his move to Dortmund. So there's that. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be one hell of a final match day uh, not because we have a title race but uh, yeah it's still not certain whether Dortmund can make the Champions League and uh, I definitely will have one eye on whether Hamburg can somehow save themselves by beating Gladbach while Wolfsburg may potentially lose to Cologne I don't know if it will happen but uh, yeah I'm, I'm certainly interested in that as well so um yeah that's that Konstantin uh, after being uh not on for such a long time can you uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet yes they can find me on twitter uh first and foremost um cc underscore eckner twitter account and there i will link uh all my work and you know that's yeah cool Lars. <laughs> uh a very enthusiastic <laughs> cool from you stefan uh <laughs> people can follow me on twitter at Lars polman uh And what what do I always say? If you have a good translator, even though some people have informed me that Google Translate works just fine because my writing style is so impeccable, uh, they can also follow my written work uh, at foosball.news. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Um, yeah, you can follow me at... Are, 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 you, okay, are you okay, Stefan? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I just had to think about the impeccable. But yeah, obviously last... Uh, I was I, I was paraphrasing, yeah. Stefan. I, I've been, I've been oh, I've been awake for sixteen hours and it's ten past nine, so I, I think you can cut me some slack. All right, I will cut you some slack. Um, and uh, yeah, you can follow me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter on uh, ESPNFC. You will find most of my written work. And um, if you want to get in touch with the all of us, go on yellowwallpod.com and reach out to us on Twitter at YellowWorldPod or Facebook, also YellowWorldPod. And uh, subscribe to our show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you want to purchase one of those Marco Royce cups, then you will have to hurry because I'm leaving the country on Sunday. But it's still possible. Uh, then go on patreon.com slash theyellowwall. Or if you want to chip in financially in any other way, please do that as well. And... Um, Yeah, otherwise I hope I can uh, intro the next episode with the Champions League theme and not the Europa League theme and that I think should be motivation enough for the team to uh, yeah, <laughs> get a narrow loss in Hoffenheim. And with that, until next week, goodbye. Thank you for listening. <laughs>